Hello, welcome to My Camino, the podcast. I'm Dan Mullins, and it's great to have your company. A special thank you to my Patreon sponsors who signed on as patrons this week, Danielle, Angelina, and Mark. Thank you so much. And a very warm and special thank you to some of my long-time sponsors, Dave Newland, Angus O'Hart, Wanda Alexander, Vicky Gabriel, James Geyer, Brandy Alexander, Sant Perez, Steve Weistrack, and Victoria Sanderson. You can sponsor me by visiting www.patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. Help keep the podcast going as we head towards 300 episodes. Some amazing feedback from my last three interviews. Keith Smith's orthotic and foot care discussion in particular. Thanks for your kind words. I thought Keith provided some brilliant advice and really explained everything well. And some great feedback too about Mark Peterson's journey of philanthropy and Marianne Summers' 10 paths to Santiago. So many people I know are heading to the Camino this northern summer. So many people finally getting the opportunity to live and breathe on the Camino. So many people walking alongside strangers who may one day be a friend, a confidant, perhaps someone you keep in contact with on your return, perhaps even, as in many cases, for years and years after your Camino. The Way of St. James is such a unique experience in that respect. It can provide so much insight for the pilgrim and the pilgrims you meet. And sharing that insight and at times advice is one of the joys of putting this podcast together for you each week. I have some wonderful episodes to come. I've been hard at work compiling some brilliant guests as we approach 300 episodes. The Camino is known for its energy. Some say it glows because it follows the Earth's ley lines, those energy fields encircling the planet. Some say it gets its energy because it follows the Milky Way. Most pilgrims walk to arrive in Santiago de Compostela, where Christ's Apostle St. James is interred beneath the majestic cathedral in the town square. Santiago de Compostela translates to St. James under a field of stars, the field of stars being the Milky Way. The stars are so bright on the Camino you could walk at night. Indeed, some pilgrims choose to walk at night. It's cooler, not as busy, and you get a most unique perspective from being out on the Camino alone at night. Many pilgrims experience the stars when they set off early in the morning before the sun rises, hoping to get their walking done before the hot Spanish sun gets too high in the sky. Or maybe, as we're seeing on the Camino at the moment, they're hoping to get to their destination early to secure a bed for the night. Many who walk the Camino do so to overcome an obstacle. It might be a decision you need to make, or something or someone has knocked you off your axis. Maya Angelou, the writer and poet laureate, once said, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. The Camino is a very, very good place to realign and to find the tools you might need to remain aligned. My guest this week wrote to me way back in October 29. Remember those days before the pandemic? Leslie Goodland had only recently heard of the Camino and made up her mind to do it. And then COVID got in the way. Leslie's on the line from California. Welcome, Pilgrim. Thank you, Dan. Tell us how the Camino came into your life. From someone I met, I play disc golf, similar to regular ball golf, but we throw Frisbee-like discs at basket targets. Three shots into the basket more often than not. It's fun. Uh, He came up randomly one evening 
with uh, the father of a friend uh, who was visiting from out of town. Uh, ironically, his name is James, but uh, they were unfamiliar with the course, and I was with a couple of friends, and we ended up showing them around the course a little bit. And I ended up going to have a beer with James after. And he told me of the Camino at that time. I was immediately interested and ended up going back to his house to watch the way. Ah, there you go. What do you think that he said about it appealed to you? I was already looking for some sort of self-discovery journey. I was contemplating a 21st century Jack Kurak style road trip, however, with less drugs, obviously. (laughs) Uh, but, um, just traveling across the United States and visiting disc golf friends and playing courses across the United States and just doing it by myself and discovering myself. Um, and then was told about the Camino and knew that that was my calling. So how many disc golf courses are there across the United States? Oh, off the top of my head, um, a lot, many. Um, A lot of the bigger cities have multiple courses. Some are just nine holes in a park setting. Others are 27 plus in um, more challenging terrain. Obviously, depending where you are in the United States, uh, the trees are different. So you, the courses vary depending on what part of the United States you're in. Uh, there's actually courses all over the world. Um, there are a few in Spain. There's a few in Italy. Um, there's some in the Scandinavian countries. But yeah, it's, it's growing rapidly. COVID helped that, actually. Right. Yeah, of course. Are you really good at it? I can hold my own. (laughs) I'm, uh, I've been playing for more than 20 years and I'm still learning. So. Wow. And yeah, this might sound like a really silly question, but do you have like a bag full like of golf clubs or do you just have the one Frisbee? No, there's a whole bag full. Is there really? (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Putters, mid-ranges, and drivers. Wow. I'm fascinated by it. I have to say, I was at the Australian Camino, uh, Australian Friends of the Camino convention in Adelaide in South Australia in 2019. And I was standing out on the balcony and said to someone, what on earth is that thing in the garden there? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and it was this sort of steel thing with chains and stuff. They said, oh, that's a, a hole, I guess. I don't know what you call it, but for, yes. for disc golf. And I was like, for what? Yes. For frisbee golf. <laughs> and 
Sure enough, the next morning all these people came up and they were playing. Yeah, that's the first time I'd ever yeah. seen or heard of it. it. was only a couple of years ago and you've been playing it for 20 years. That's really interesting. Yeah. Yes. What, what do you like about it so much? The community, wow. actually. Uh, very much like uh, the community on the Camino where everybody is family. Wow, there you go. I did not expect to be talking about disc golf when I lined up my interview with you today, Leslie, but that's really cool. But I, but I want to walk slowly with you, if you like, on this, this journey, you and me together. Tread carefully, I will, because you wrote to me to say that you dealt with self-esteem issues your whole life. Yes. Why do you think the Camino sounded like a way to perhaps help you deal with some of those challenges? James had been on the Camino twice previously and he somehow had picked up on my insecurities and actually told me that it would help me. Right. Wow, that's really interesting. And yet, I imagine you would have been a little unsure. What was what was it about it or or tell us about that moment when you said, "No, I'm going to do this. This is the right thing for me. I'm going to do it." A bit magical and very inspiring. As soon as James told me about it, I knew that that was that was it. That that was just what I needed to do. It was uh, organized, structured. I would have meet other people on the path. It was just a way to get out and mm. experience nature, which I love already. I love hiking. I grew up hiking. Um, so it, yeah, it was, it just sounded perfect. Unfortunately things didn't work out, but that's okay. Oh no, no, we'll get to that. We'll get to that because I think it's all (laughs) part of your story, but I imagine that undertaking such a challenge so far from home was something you once would never have considered. Actually, I would say no. Um, I have been a fairly solitaire person all of my life. And so I'm used to doing things on my own. Okay. I had always wanted to travel to Europe. So it was an opportunity to do that also. So yeah, I was, I was ready to go. Um, the challenge, the whole challenge of traveling by myself, of getting to my destinations and um, not speaking a language so well and everything else, I, I was ready for that challenge. It sounded exciting. Yeah, right. How fantastic. You wrote to me to say music was your first love. Tell me about Leslie and music. Well, I have my parents to thank for the influences Um they both listened to a lot of music. Um, I grew up in the 80s, so it was a lot of um, popular 80s music and um, rock music. Um, the Beatles, Fleetwood Mac, etc. cetera. Um, my grandmother also, I grew up in her house and she was a music fan also. She had records of old uh, band music and whatnot. So all of my family really, and it just it just grew. I grew up on MTV, and when they actually had videos, and it was it was a good time to grow up musically. I think. 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. That's sort of, I was a little bit, I'm a bit older than you then I must be because I was sort of more 60s, 70s, early 80s. But yeah, the music was great. Where are you exactly in California? What city, what region do you live in? Uh, Santa Cruz. Have you ever heard of the boardwalk? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, Santa Cruz. Yes. So Californians have a reputation of being very laid back, cool and relaxed. Is that the reality? Because when I see the traffic in Los Angeles, for instance, (laughs) it doesn't look very relaxed and laid back. I honestly would say that depends on what part of California you're in. Um, The Bay Area and Los Angeles, not so much. But um, on the coast and parts of Southern California, Northern California, definitely. Yeah. I mean, yes, California definitely has that reputation. And yes, it does stand true. So how hard was it to prepare for the Camino? And tell us how you dealt with the realization that COVID was going to get in the way. That was rough. I did have everything planned, ready to go, but I'm a huge believer in that everything happens for a reason, and that's what I had to go on. As far as preparation, a lot of Facebook groups, immensely helpful. I joined two or three really good ones and the information on there was fantastic. Um, James was also a huge help. He actually gave me some things, um, including a pack, which was very nice of him and the Brearley guide, uh, which I unfortunately lost, (laughs) but um, I I did have help from James and help from Facebook. Um, So it was fairly easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reason I ask that is because um, it's kind of one thing to sort of say, okay, I think I'm going to do it, you know, and and sort of watching the way and then sort of doing all of the background uh, information and and preparing can be kind of daunting. Um, But you seem to have taken it in your stride. Had you traveled much overseas before? Never. First time. Right. So what was it like when you boarded the plane to go that first day? It was actually cheaper for me to fly to Chicago and fly to Paris from Chicago. And it worked out because I had always wanted to see Chicago. So I uh, stayed, I don't believe I stayed a full day, but I did have time to go to the top of the tower in Chicago. And that, that actually was my first wow moment. Um, it didn't even happen overseas, just being in Chicago and being at the top of that tower. Uh, I had an emotional moment. So, yeah. So do you remember what you thought overseas travel would be like? And then looking back, did it meet your expectations or or let you down? It met my expectations, actually. Um, I had a few wrinkles in the beginning, but um, I, I took it in stride and dealt with it and I was okay. So it was... From the very beginning, um, I think when I 
stepped out my front door, um, the Camino will provide was always with me. That's right, because you you actually ran into a bit of trouble with a with an ATM. I did. <laughs> Tell us about that. I was in the train station uh, at the Paris airport, and I was trying to get a train ticket to get into the city to get to my room. Well, I couldn't get the silly thing to work. So I frustrated just off the plane. Um, everything all at once ended up calling my bank. They said the card was fine. Finally, I decided to ask somebody, even though I felt like a fool, um, not speaking French, um, you know, oh, Silly American tourists can't figure it out. Well, I was putting my card in backwards. <laughs> so you managed so, <laughs> you managed to sort that out and you were a bit embarrassed about it, right? Yes, a bit. <laughs> <laughs> but then you had this wonderful moment. Tell us about the very first cathedral in Bayonne. Oh, I walked in and it took my breath away. I thought to myself that if all of the cathedrals were going to be like this one or better, I was in for a real treat. And there was something I'm super interested in history and especially how people used to live their day-to-day lives. So the history of the cathedrals and of the Templar churches interest me a lot. And so walking into that first one, yeah, that was, that was the first, beside Chicago, that was the first um, time I really felt a spiritual moment. Great. And then did cathedrals and churches feature then when you got to Spain and began and walked your Camino? Uh, yes, very much so. Uh, the cathedrals ended up being a main part of my Camino. Yeah, because tell us about the Camino Provides. And let's start with the Camino Provides in St. jean pied de port So I got to St. Jean and... I wear eyeglasses and I have to have the flip up sunglasses because my eyes are sensitive and they came apart. So I ended up down by the river and was frustrated. It was getting dark. I was hungry and I sat there and I tried to put them back together to no avail. So... Finally, I gave up and I took off my shoes and socks, pulled up my pants and went and waited in the creek river. And it was amazing. I just just washed away some of the stress, some of the frustration. And I thought to myself, okay, you know, whatever happens, it'll be all right. So I stood there for a little while. I took a picture of the bridge got back out and started wandering. I needed to find a place to sleep. 
Well, it was still COVID. Things were still restricted. And there were a lot of pilgrims on Camino. So I wandered around and I happened upon a woman standing in a doorway. She asked me if I needed a bed for the night. And I looked at her and I, I, yes, yes, I do, please. All right, well, come in. We're about to have dinner. So she saved me that night and I had a wonderful meal and ended up meeting another pilgrim who loved puzzles and was able to not only put them back together for me, but was able to show me how to put them back together should they ever come apart again. How great is that? That is really fantastic. The Camino provides story. And and you also wrote to me to say the Camino provided when you eventually arrived at Pamplona. Actually, uh, Roncevallis was the first one. Um, I came into Roncevallis that first day was quite a test for me. I was dealing with um, a foot issue and it was rough. And Roncevallis was completely foggy, wet, cold, windy, not something that you want to come into. Um, I arrived at the pilgrim station only to find out that there were no beds. Well, I ended up talking to an older gentleman who spoke English and he knew of a taxi driver who had a friend in the next town who had um, a sort of albergue and possibly had a room left. So the older gentleman went and found his taxi driver friend and um, yes, she did have uh, a bed left. So I ended up there and the taxi driver was very nice. How lovely. What a wonderful story. And so tell us then about Pamplona. What happened there? I got to Pamplona and as I was checking in, the gentleman at the front desk said that I was very lucky I had gotten the last room in Pamplona. (laughs) How he knew that, I'm not sure, but... Yeah, it was it was kind of a moment where I started to question things. Okay, go on. What do you mean by question things? About whether or not I actually wanted to continue on the Camino itself or whether I wanted to leave the beds for those who really needed them and travel on my own and visit cathedrals because that was what had touched me the most. Yeah, that's right. So you walked on to Lorogno and then you took transport to Barcelona and Zaragoza. I did, eventually, yes. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about the day or, or that moment when you realized, you know what, the Camino is not for me. I'm going, to, I'm going to head off on a different path. I think it was actually in Zuberi. Um, I had walked from Brigitte Aritz to Zuberi and Zuberi had no beds and 
I stopped at a cafe and had food and cafe con leche, which I absolutely fell in love with and started hearing conversation. Well, I decided at that point that I just needed to get to the next where there was probably more accommodation. So I ended up um, with the help of uh, one of the cafe workers getting a taxi. And that's when I ended up in Pamplona. So what month of the, of, and what year are you walking? What, when are you walking? Why is it so busy? Uh, it was last year. I was walking toward the end of August. I believe I actually got to St. John on about the 19th or 20th of August. And like I said, there was still COVID restrictions and um, the albergues could not uh, fully open. So they had limited capacity. And there was so many pilgrims, so many. Yeah. So you decide to head off the Camino to go in search of cathedrals. But you wrote to me to say at this time you were having the time of your life. Oh, yes. It was wonderful. Despite all of the challenges, being in another country, being surrounded by another language that um, I've been familiar with all my life growing up in California, everything about Spain appealed to me. So it was, it was just, it was just wonderful. So where do you think your self-esteem issues were sitting in your awareness at that time, Leslie? Do you remember? Because you're having the time of your life. You're doing all of this on your own. You're way outside your comfort zone. How was the self-esteem? Ironically, I did not have any issues with it. I think part of it was when I was on the Camino, it didn't matter. And then when I was traveling by myself, nobody knew me and I didn't know anybody. So it didn't matter then either. Yeah. And you, and you wrote to me to say, I came back a different person, no longer having much tolerance for much drama in my life. So how is life now? Much more relaxed. Good for you. Um, yeah, I've, I've kept myself away from a lot of the drama and um, buried myself in books again, and it's, it's been great. Now, you have to tell us. Things didn't quite go to plan on the train from Barcelona going to Valencia. No, they did not. (laughs) Tell us what happened. So we weren't very far out of Barcelona and an announcement came on the loudspeaker, unfortunately for me, only in Spanish. In the midst of everything, I had no idea what was going on and did not realize the severity of the situation. So I ended up blowing my cover as a tourist and I had two young gentlemen sitting behind me and they thought it would be real funny uh, to steal my pack. Yeah, go on. So what happens then? 
I had a moment of panic. I kind of ran around looking for them, even though I knew they were long gone. I kind of checked trash cans to see if maybe they, you know, had checked it real quick and saw there was nothing of interest in there and tossed it. And then I went back to the train, which had stopped, and talked to uh, one of the train employees and he said, well, I'm sorry, you'll just have to get back to Barcelona and make a police report. So fortunately, I had all of my important things with me in my purse on my person. So I lost a couple of things that maybe had some sentimental value, but the rest of it was just stuff. And when I first heard about the Camino, that was one of the things that was mentioned to me was about how little stuff you need on the Camino. And at first that was hard for me to grasp, but then somehow it, I got over it. And so I kind of was, oh, well, maybe washing my socks in the sink every night might be kind of fun. <laughs> Coming up with creative places to dry them. But yeah, once I lost my pack, I did. I made it back to Barcelona, went to the police station, made a report. I should have spent some more time on the value of my things, but it didn't really matter. And then I needed to book a room so that I could find a COVID test so I could go home. So you have to have a COVID test before you can board a flight back to the States. At that time last year, right. it was September at that point. Yes, I did. Okay, right. So that's really interesting. And and I guess the one line that I saw in your email that I found surprising, given your messages to me over the last few years, suggested someone who was not a very confident person, but you wrote of the crisis after your bag was stolen. You said, I'm very resourceful. So I made everything happen. So do you think the Camino and the trip overall contributed to your ability to overcome this obstacle, this massive obstacle? Maybe a little, yeah. I mean, being, you know, doing things on my own most of my life, I have been a pretty resourceful person and able to figure things out if things did somehow go wrong. But yeah, that was a pretty big test. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess you said the first that first couple of days after arriving home were very strange and you said it felt like you almost didn't belong there. Did your friends and family see a change in you? I think so, yeah. Um, I know my mom did. My friends probably because I haven't been hanging out with them as much. Right. So it really has had a big impact on you, hasn't it? Yes, and I can't wait to go back. Yeah, yeah, we're going to get there. How often does the Camino bubble to the surface now? How often do you think about it in everyday life? 
every day, especially because I uh, am driving for a living right now and am listening to your podcasts every day. <laughs> You'd be sick of the sound of my voice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so you're already planning a three-month tour of Europe for spring in 2023, Paris and Spain and Italy. Is there a Camino? Yes. Is there a Camino in there? I believe so. Um, I listened to a podcast the other day about uh, from a woman who had walked uh, Camino Inglés, and the uh, short little bit of that sounded sounded perfect because it was going to be at the end of uh, my travels through Spain. Great. Well, fantastic. And I loved your your sign-off in the last email to me was, it's not Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, it's Morley, because you wrote, I'm worth more, not less. That's a great yeah. philosophy. I have James to thank for that one. He came up with that one for me, and I liked it so much that I kept it. Yeah. And I guess that's become a kind of like a, a motto in a way, Um and for somebody who has had self-esteem issues, there are really just very small things you can do to turn that around, aren't there? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah, and it's the small things that do matter. Yeah, that's right. They, they, they do matter. I wonder, can you tell us a Camino story? I have two short ones since I was not on the Camino itself for very long. Um, the first one uh, happened in Roncesvalles while I was talking to the older gentleman, and there was a group of about three or four young girls. They had to have been in their early 20s. Um, spoke English. I'm not quite sure where they were from, possibly uh, here in the United States. But they came uh, running up, giggling, asking for a hair dryer. And the older gentleman and I looked at each other. It was all we could do to not bust up laughing. <laughs> What's the other story? Uh, I was on my second day of walking, so before Zuberi, um, I came across a little stand, refreshment stand, and there was a, a sign with a box underneath, and the sign read in a few different languages, looking for your soulmate, leave your underwear here, magic works. And I saw that and I thought it was the cutest thing. And I just started busting up laughing. <laughs> it's funny. No, I did not leave my any underwear. <laughs> well, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Leslie or Morley. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Congratulations on finding the courage to step out of your comfort zone, to find yourself overcoming the challenges of pilgrimage on the trail and in your heart. I hope our paths cross one of these days and we can while away the time talking about both of our first love, music. Blessings from down under, Leslie or Morley. Buen Camino. Buen Camino, Dan. Thank you very much.
My guest this week was Leslie Goodland, or Morley Goodland. Maya Angelou, the writer and poet laureate, said once, I can be changed by what happens to me, but I refuse to be reduced by it. And the author David Mitchell wrote in Cloud Atlas, You say you're depressed, but all I see is resilience. You are allowed to feel messed up and inside out. It doesn't mean you're defective. It means you're human. Once again, a very special thank you to my Patreon sponsors who signed on as patrons this week, Danielle, Angelina and Mark. And a very warm and special thank you to some of my long-time sponsors, Dave Newell and Angus O'Hart, Wanda Alexander, Vicky Gabriel, James Geyer, Brandy Alexander, Sant Perez, Steve Weistrack and Victoria Sanderson. You can sponsor me by visiting patreon.com forward slash Dan Mullins. Thanks for your company again this week and every week. Until next week, I'm Dan Mullins. Buen Camino. Somewhere along the way Somewhere along the way